Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. short series and uh, if you are new here today or maybe this is your first time joining us we are doing a survey through the bible from genesis to revelation and we're trying to do that in 13 weeks <laughs> trying to make a long story short and we we share that because our desire is 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 to take this this big book this this book here that is is so big and uh, made up of 66 different types of literature we call them 66 books but really 66 different types of literature and helping you connect the dots helping us see that god had a plan that this is the story of God, this is the story of redemption, and this is the story of hope, this is the story of Jesus Christ, and we see that story, pictures and shadows of that story, and themes of what God is doing, starting right in the beginning in Genesis, and those themes carry through. Why? Because the authors that, uh, that wrote the different types of genre, whether it be history or prophecy or poetry, uh, gospels, epistles, uh, different proverb, wisdom literature, there's different types of literature. No matter what it was, they were all guided along by the Holy Spirit. God was writing through them. God was writing his story. And so we're hoping to connect the dots through this series, the Old Testament, how does it connect to the New Testament, so that when you get to the New Testament, seeing some things that have happened in the Old Testament, you go, oh, that, that's like this. Yeah, exactly. That's what God's doing. So we've been looking at this story, and uh, our introductory week, the Bible, we talked about how it was organized. And I'm going all the way back there because what we're going to talk about today connects to that, and that is this. The Bible is organized in two major sections. The two major sections are what? The Old, Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Or you might say the Old Covenant or Covenants and the New Covenant. And uh, the Old Testament is actually, again, I said covenants because it's a series of covenants. And we've seen some of those. We saw the covenant that God made with Noah and the promise that he would not destroy the earth again. And then we saw another covenant in Genesis chapter 15 that God made with Abraham. And today our theme is covenant. And today we're going to be taking a look at another covenant that God makes with the nation of Israel. They were the family and the descendants of Abraham, and that covenant carried through from Abraham, and he renewed that covenant promise with Abraham's descendant and his promised son Isaac, and then renewed that with Isaac's son Jacob. And then this family, through that promise that God had made to Abraham to make them into a great nation, grew in Israel. And we talked last week about the Exodus, how God in his grace and in his mercy and by his mighty power, what did he do? He set those people free. He brought them out from the bondage. He brought them out from their slavery. He brought them out and he completely set them free. 
And we, we saw how he, he did all of those demonstrations of power and then brought them to the Red Sea. And he parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. And in the waters of the Red Sea, as they had parted, the Egyptian armies were pursuing them. They pursued in. And then God told Abraham, lower your staff. The waters came down and completely destroyed their enemies. That's a picture of salvation, isn't it? It's a picture of what God does in salvation. And then what happens that we, we're not going to get into all the details of, but God begins to take them on a journey in the wilderness. And how many you know that sometimes in our journey, we go through the wilderness. God sets us free and then he begins to lead us. And as he leads us, he leads us into the places that are the wilderness. He leads us into the places. And so as he began to lead them, he led them to a place where all of a sudden, three-day journey and they were out of water. And they said, we don't have any water. What are we going to do? Why did God do that? Because God wanted to demonstrate that he was their provider. We don't have any food. What are we going to do? And God began to institute and began to provide for them little wafers of bread that they'd wake up in the morning. It was called manna. God blew in quail and began to do it. But what you see throughout that time is God is saying, I'm going to be your provider. Because guess what happened? During that time, what, what was going on is every time they started to experience lack, what did they do? In your readings this week, what did they do? The children of Israel did what? They began to cry out, right? And they said, it was better for us where? Back in Egypt. It was better for us in Egypt. Why? Because for them as slaves, their dependency was on Egypt to be their provider. Their dependency was on Egypt to be their provider. And what God is going to establish and the covenant that God is going to make, and we're going to talk about where God leads them to a covenant, is a covenant of love where God wants to demonstrate to them and wants them to put their entire trust in him and say, God, you are our provider. You're our provider. And that's faith, friends. That's faith. In fact, that's one thing that is clear that we see, and it's significant that we can trust God. God wants to demonstrate to us that he is our provider. We see it right from the very beginning, the moments of creation. God simply wants us to put our trust in him. You see, the simple message that we see is that God is good and his plan for us is good. It's more than just a song that we sing. You are good, good. Oh, do you believe it? Do you believe that God is good? Even when his plans take you into a wilderness season, do you believe that God knows what he's doing and that he is good? See, that's what God is doing. God is saying, I want you to trust me in every moment of your life, in everything that I have, that I am good. See, in the very beginning, God provided Adam and Eve with everything. He put them in a garden. We talked about it. And everything was perfect. And he gave them everything they need in order for him to know that they loved him, that there's his love, that their love for him wasn't forced. He put a tree. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't eat of that tree. Why? Because I want you to trust me that I know what's good and what's evil. You don't need to know that. Just trust me. Just trust me. Why? Because that trust would say, God, we trust that you know best. We trust that you're protecting us. We trust that you know what is best. You know it. We don't know how to handle good and evil, but you do. But Adam and Eve were deceived. 
And they disobeyed God and they thought by their own reasoning, trusting in their own reasoning that they could manage and know what was good and what is evil. And friends, I'm going to tell you, if you look around the world today, that's one of the biggest problems that we have is that nobody knows what is good and what is evil. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. Why? Because we've moved away from trust in what God says is good. And instead, we begin to argue about certain things, and we look in Scripture and we say, well, by my own reasoning, that can't be good. By my own reasoning, that can't be right. And God doesn't want us to rest on our own reasoning. He wants us to trust in Him. You see, God is faithful even when we are faithless. And we see His faithfulness, and we see it in the promises, and we see it in the covenants that He makes. Noah demonstrated a trust and faith that he was willing to take God at his word. And he was willing to build an ark. And in building an ark, he became a a mediator, kind of a savior of mankind. He was the mediator by his faith that allowed others to be able to get onto the ark, family members and those who would come. But it it ended up being his own family in order to find salvation. But he became the mediator of the covenant. And we saw again, Abraham, though not perfect, When God told him to go, took God at his word and began to trust in God's word. And God had made a covenant promise with Abraham. And even when Abraham was not faithful, God remained faithful. Right? And that's what we're going to see today as well. God takes his people. He leads them in the wilderness. He begins to demonstrate to them. He demonstrated his power in the wilderness. He demonstrates his provision. He demonstrates that he's personal and his presence goes before them. And he begins to lead them. And where he leads them is to a mountain. And the mountain is called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a significant place because it's there where God oftentimes will meet with people. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, God demonstrates his presence and demonstrates his power. And so he leads them and he begins to lead them to this mountain. And it's here that God begins to speak to them. And he says, I want to make a covenant with my people. Now, before we get into talking and looking at the specifics of this covenant and what the covenant was, I want to just talk a little bit about what is a covenant? Because in our Western society, in our day and age, we've kind of lost the meaning of a covenant. Sometimes we can see it in marriage, but even in marriage, we've kind of lost the meaning of what a covenant is. So what is a covenant? I want to define that today by beginning with what a covenant is not. What a covenant is not. First of all, a covenant is not a commitment. You see, commitment, the word commitment is everywhere. Commitments are a dime a dozen. People make commitments all the time. They commit to meet somebody for lunch and, oh, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. And then if something else comes along or something better or, oh, I happen to forget to put it on my calendar, well, I missed that commitment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We cancel out, no big deal. We make commitments to exercise and we don't do it. How many did that at the beginning of the year? Right? We commit to eating better and we don't do it. We commit to all kinds of stuff. And I don't know, one of the frustrations I have as a pastor is, is that, that part. When somebody commits and says, I'll be a part of that ministry or I'll show up and I'll do that. I'll serve in the nursery. I'll serve in kids ministry. I'll, I'll serve and, and help out. I'll do this. And well, I got a better offer. Well, something else came up in my schedule. Something else came up in my calendar. And all of a sudden my commitment is, is just what it is. It's just kind of a commitment, right? There's any kind of resistance. I'm not sharing this to make any, anybody feel guilty. I just want you to understand that commitments are probably the one that hold the least amount of weight. And they're not the same as a covenant. They're not the same as a covenant. They're not the same as that. Secondly, a covenant is not a contract. 
A contract carries a little more weight. It's kind of a business term. It, it communicates terms of an agreement, including what happens when somebody breaks it or fails to live up to the terms of the deal. Binding contracts uh, require an exchange of consideration. Consideration would be money or an exchange of some kind uh, of some kind of capital or something, usually spelling out consequences uh, of failing to perform up to that contract. And contracts are transactional in nature. In fact, there are four characteristics of a contract. Contracts are often made for a limited period of time. If anybody's ever signed up and you've decided to go to one of these cell phone providers and you've gone in to sign up for things, uh, even though they say there's no contract, if you buy a phone, how many know there's a contract? Because you're not really buying it, you're leasing it. And there's a limited time, right? Usually 24 months or something that you've signed up and you've got a monthly payment that you're agreeing by signing that, that you're going to repay to them. Your, these are what you're going to do. They're going to transact. They're going to give you a phone. And in, in exchange for that phone, you're going to give them a payment every month and you're going to use their cell service. That's a part of the contract that's there. We do contracts all the time. Perhaps it's a mortgage contract or a loan contract. You sign it. Contracts often deal with specific actions. For instance, the cell phone contract tells you you've got to pay that money back, <laughs> right? You've got to pay it back. It tells you what your limits on your minutes or your, your text or your data plan. Usually minutes and, 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 and text no longer have any of that. Unlimited, unlimited. But data, you better be careful of that, right? Because in that contract, if you go over your data, this is how much you're going to pay. Anybody ever experienced that? Don't raise your hand, right? Contracts are based on an if-then mentality. They're conditional based. There's terms and conditions. They're conditional based. And if you break it, legal action might follow. Contracts are motivated by a desire to get something. People will sign a lease contract because they want to have a car. There's a contract because there's something that you want. You get something in return. And the salesperson wants something. They want the commission. So it's obvious why people choose commitment over contract, right? There's less engagement. There's lighter consequences. There's less obligation involved. And a contract is either fulfilled or broken. And when it's fulfilled or broken, it's done. Then it's done and that's it. And that's, that's some of the differences. Now, I just... just found it really interesting. How many have you ever been, you, you've been somewhere and all of a sudden before you can proceed any further, this little box comes up and it's got all of this like legal info and you've got to check a box and say, I agree to these terms and conditions before you can move on. Anybody ever have those things? How many of you read those things? That's a contract. Anybody ever read those contracts? Usually we're like, no, oh, I can't read all of that, right? We, we scroll through and we don't. We, but I found, this is what I found. You might want to read that, that the next time. You see, I, I found that the Washington Post record, recorded or, or posted this, that a recent study showed how flippantly people regard the terms and conditions of even the most basic contracts. In an experience sponsored by a security firm called F-Secure, an open Wi-Fi network was set up in a very busy public area, and when people connected to it, they were presented with lengthy terms and conditions. And, and this was the experiment. They wanted to see how little attention people actually paid to that agreement and, and that checking that box. And so F-Secure included in that lengthy thing what they called the Herod Clause. Herod, after King Herod, the Herod Clause. And here's what the Herod Clause offered in exchange. Remember, it's transactional, a contract. Here's what they exchanged. You can have free Wi-Fi 
as long as you sign over to us permanent ownership of your firstborn. <laughs> right? Now, I don't, I don't think they, they could actually get you to hand over your pride and joy, but you sign that contract, you click that contract, that's there. And you know, people don't even realize sometimes what they, what they sign. A 2011 survey found 58% of adults would rather read an instruction manual than go through online terms and conditions. In fact, even the phone book was more palatable at 12%. <laughs> And, you know, in a little over a month, April Fool's Day is coming up. Well, in 2010, uh, UK shoppers, a host of UK shoppers were tricked into signing away their immortal souls. So you might want to read some of those contracts. But contracts are transactional in nature. So a covenant, it's not a commitment and it's not a contract. So what is a covenant? What brings us to the word covenant? A covenant is a formal, solemn, and binding agreement. And unlike present-day contracts, covenants carry no expiration date, no expiration date, and the obligation doesn't go away even if there's a breach. In fact, while a contract is enforced by the government, a covenant is regulated by God. And unlike a contract that involves an exchange of property or actions, a covenant binds two parties together personally. You see, a contract is transactional, but a covenant is relational. A covenant is relational. And some of the qualities and comparisons that I found, how do we, how do we, how do we uh, look at this? And what's the difference between contract and covenant? Well, a contract is legally binding, but a covenant is spiritual agreement. A contract is an agreement between two parties, while a covenant is a pledge. That's why when you get married, you say a vow. You say vows. You are pledging yourself to somebody, pledging that you will do these things. A covenant is an agreement you can break while a covenant, uh, excuse me, a contract is an agreement you can break while a covenant is a perpetual promise. Uh, 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 You seal a covenant, you sign a contract. A contract is mutually a beneficial relationship while a covenant is something that you fulfill. You're saying, I vow to do this. I vow to do this. A contract exchanges goods while a covenant is giving oneself to another. You can opt out to a, uh, to a contract, but a covenant's about having strengths that hold up your part of the promise. And one can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part of the deal. However, in a covenant, the party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations. A covenant is better relationally. When we're talking about relationships, it's better. And so when we're talking about our relationship with God, God doesn't come to make us sign a contract. God came to make a covenant with us. God came to make a covenant with his people. Perhaps the best way to be able to to see the difference between a contract and a covenant is in in a book that I read on marriage uh, by pastor and author Timothy Keller. He pastors in New York City, and he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And if you're looking for a great book, it's a deep book. I'll I'll let you know. It's, 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 it's It's a deeper type of a read. But he gets into really talking about this idea of marriage because we see covenant because it's so relational in the marriage relationship. That's the way that we see it in scripture. So in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, this is what he says, and this might benefit your marriages and enrich those as well and maybe point some things out. But he writes this, contemporary Western societies make the individual's happiness the ultimate value. And so the marriage becomes primarily an experience of romantic fulfillment. But the Bible sees God 
as supreme good, not the individual or the family. And that gives us a view of marriage that intimately unites feeling and duty, passion and promise. And that's because at the heart of the biblical idea of marriage is covenant. He goes on to write this, throughout history, there have always been consumer relationships. Such a relationship lasts only as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost acceptable to you. If another vendor delivers better services or better services at a better cost or the same services at a better cost, you have no obligation to stay in relationship to the original vendor. See, in consumer relationships, it could be said that the individual's needs are more important than the relationship. There have also been covenantal relationships. These are relationships that are binding on us. In a covenant, the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. Do you see the difference between consumer and and covenant? For example, a parent may get a little bit emotional out of caring for an infant, but there's been an enormous, there would be an enormous social stigma attached to any parent who would give up their children because rearing them was too hard and unrewarding. How many would agree with that? You have kids, right? You know, sometimes it's not always rewarding. Sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes, but you would never think of giving them up. Why? Because you have a covenant of love for them right? You have a covenant of love. The the parent-child relationship is still a covenant one, not a consumer. Oh, this isn't benefiting me anymore. This isn't meeting my needs. I'm not getting enough sleep. I I don't have enough time for myself. All they want to do is yank on me and pull on me and cry all the time. And I'm done with this. I'm just going to leave it, right? Nobody would, nobody would, what, what is that? Even when the other party can't meet, a covenant relationship still meets that need, But sociologists argue this, that contemporary Western society, the marketplace has become so dominant that the consumer model increasingly characterizes most relationships that were historically covenantal, including marriage. Today, we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. When we cease to make a profit, that is when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we're getting back, we cut our losses and we drop the relationship. This also has been called commodification, a process by which social relationships are reduced to economic exchange relationships. And so the very idea of covenant is disappearing in our culture. Covenant is therefore a concept that is increasingly foreign to us, and yet the Bible says it's the essence of marriage, and so we must take some time to understand it. And I would say not only the essence of marriage, but the essence of our relationship with God. Because I think that not only as we have seen in marriage, where marriages have moved towards more of a consumer relationship, where we feel like we've signed a piece of paper or a contract, and you're not meeting your obligation to meet my needs, and the cost is way too high for me to stay in it, and so I'm going to go look for something else that can meet my needs. We do the same thing with God. We're in it in a relationship with God as long as God is doing X, Y, and Z that we signed up for. But the moment we feel as if that's not happening and, and, and we're not, and the price is too high, then we begin to back away, cut our losses, and look for something else. But that's not the way that God looks at his relationship with us. How many of you glad for that? See, God's relationship with us is covenant. And that's what God did when he brought his people to Mount Sinai. He was there to make a 
covenant with them, not get them to sign a contract, but a covenant with them. And we see it in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 3. This is what's typically called the Mosaic covenant because Moses was the mediator of this covenant. He was the middleman. And what we see is, is that, that there was this back and forth. God was bringing the people of Israel. He was wanting to make a covenant with them. And Moses became the one in which was the mediator that, that was between God and, 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 and the nation of Israel saying, this is God. This is what God wants to do. This is what God says. Are you, are you willing to do this? And this is what we see, Exodus 19, starting in verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So you see God talking, Moses is, God is talking to Moses, saying, this is what I want you to tell the people. This is what I want you to bring back to them. And it says, so Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And so you see this exchange. God is saying, I want to make a covenant with you. This is what I want to do. I, this, is, this, this, is, this is what I've done for you already. And this is what I want to continue to do for you. And we see the people of, uh, of Israel, they are saying, yes, we want that too. We are vowing. We are pledging ourselves to you. You're pledging ourselves to us. And we are going to pledge ourselves to you. Remember, it's about a vow. He's saying, listen, I'm the one who set you free from slavery in Egypt. I brought you out. I am the God who brought you out. I brought you out to bring you into relationship with me. And see, when God saves us, when God sets us free, when God forgives our sin and brings us out of the slavery to sin and and darkness and, 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 and the wages of sin, which is death, he is bringing us out in order to bring us into a covenant relationship with him. Why? Because he loves us. We sang it. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Why? Well, look what he says. You will be what? My treasured possession. Now I know possession. What do you mean possession? Right? I don't want to be anybody's possession. Right? I'm my own person. Goes against Western society. That's why we're struggling so much in marriages. Because we highlight individuality and we forget that marriage is about oneness. That's why we're seeing that struggle. That's why we see so many struggles in relationships because we're buying into a lie and a deception from the enemy. If you read the words of the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, this is not in my notes, but if you read the words of the Apostle Paul about marriage, you know what he says? He says that, that, that the husband and the wife are not the ones who own their own bodies, but in marriage, you belong to each other. Belong. Yes, the word belong. <gasps> Let's go back to the beginning. Do you want to trust your own reasoning or do you want to trust in God? Because I see the path our own reasoning gets on. Our own reasoning brings a lot of hurt, brings a lot of pain, brings a lot of selfishness. Our own reasoning brings a lot of exchange. What does God's way bring? Why? Because it's covenant. 
because it's covenant. Come on, this is good stuff, friends. <laughs> he says that you, my treasure, a kingdom of priests, I've got a purpose. Remember, God's got a purpose. I'm going to take you to be my own, right? And he takes this message and, and Moses being the mediator and they all declare, as you have spoken, we will do it. And, and Moses takes the response back to God and God gives instructions, tells the people, I want you to prepare and, and prepare yourselves and consecrate yourselves. Why? Because God is holy. And he says, I want you to prepare yourselves because we're going to enter into this agreement. So prepare yourself and get yourself ready. And part of that is sacrifice. Why? Because without a sacrifice, without the shedding of blood there is no what forgiveness of sin we saw that with the passover we've seen it over and over whenever there is a covenant a sacrifice also accompanies it and he says i want you to get ready there's five characteristics of this covenant that i want to highlight five characteristics of the covenant first of all the basis of the covenant here is the basis of the covenant the foundation of the covenant cannot be ignored in fact it's critical in highlighting the very character of god because the basic the basis for the covenant is promise a basis for a covenant is promise. And the promise that, that the covenant is based on is the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go back to what we looked at last week, Exodus 6, 2 through 8. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people in Israel, whom the Egyptians held as slaves, and I have remembered, what's it say? I have remembered my what? My covenant. I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I'm the Lord God, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm, great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people. There it is, personal. I'm going to take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Listen, what is the covenant based on? The covenant is based on that promise. You can't separate it. When God brings his people to the mountain, this is not a new thing. What he is doing is he's saying, everything I have done so far for you, I've done because of a covenant that I made with Abraham, a covenant I made with Isaac and Jacob. Because of that promise, because of that covenant, because of my love and because my in me my promises are yes and amen right that's what paul says the promise of god are yes and amen why because god does what he says he's going to do and how many of you know when somebody does what they say they're going to do you can do what you can trust them because trust is based on a relationship where somebody does what they say they're going to do. I'm trying to build your faith, friends. I'm trying to encourage your faith this morning because God makes a covenant with us. And when God makes a covenant, we see throughout the foundation of that is promise. And God always does what he promises. He does what he promises he will do. And we will see this over and over and over again through this series. You're going to get tired of me saying it. But the problem is we are a forgetful people. And the moment trouble comes and the moment we're led into the wilderness and the moment things aren't going okay, we begin to think, oh no, God's happening. God, why are you doing this to me? And we no longer trust that God's got a plan and he will fulfill his promise. 
And through Jesus Christ, a new covenant has been made. It's been offered us today, not on our own merits or anything we've done, but based on the truth that God fulfills his promises and desires relationship with us. It's not about religion. It's relationship with us. Covenants are relational. And God wants to bring us into that relationship. He set us free like he did Israel because he loves us. He loves us. Moses sums up the motivation. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are the people. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. This was after, this was they were getting ready to enter in the promised land. Moses was getting ready to, to, to pass away. 40 years. Moses reflecting back. You're a people holy to the Lord your God. Holy means set apart. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not sell his affection or set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and look, kept the oath, the vow that he swore to your ancestors. And he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. It was a covenant. It was a covenant. That's why God did what he did. That's why he set them free. That's why God sets us free. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, because of a covenant, because of the covenant that he made. That's why he does what he does. That's the basis. It's not transactional. It's relational. It's relational. He made an oath and a vow because he loved us. That's why marriage is not a contract. It's an oath. It's a vow. It's a pledge that says, I will do these things, even if you don't, to have and to hold from this day forward, committing myself to you and you only, loving you only until death do us part. Sickness and in health, richer for poor. Right? Only to you. And you know what? In a covenant, you're saying, this is my part. And my part doesn't depend on whether you do your part, because this isn't a contract. This isn't transactional. I'm not only in it as long as I'm getting what I think I ought to get. Exchange. That's not what this is. This is a pledge. This is a vow. This is what I vow to do to you. And we see it. It's modeled in God's relationship with us and God's relationship with his people that even when they were faithless, God was faithful. Why? Because he is motivated by love. He's motivated by love. And you, you say, well, where do you see this in the New Testament? Well, how many of you know? What is the church called? The bride of Christ. Why do you think there's marriage relationship? Why do you think he's the bridegroom? Why do you think one day we're going to see the marriage supper of the lamb? Because we've entered into a covenant and it's relational. It's not an if-then contract. Again, God is personal. God is personal. Second, we see results. What are the results of a covenant relationship? Protection. 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 First, we see what's called salvific protection. That's a big word, salvific. What it really means is salvation. <laughs> God tells the people in Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, how I brought you to myself. And using the word redeemed in there, I redeemed you with mighty acts. 
right? Why? Israel was captive. There was nothing they could do, but God kept his covenant promise. And as a result of that, the protection that they saw was God's demonstration of power as he saved them. Not on anything they did, not on any of their works, not because they were any more deserving, but based on his covenant promise, there was salvation. There was salvation. And through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we see salvation too from the wages of sin that is death. We experience salvation from the power of sin's hold on our lives. And we have been set free, not on our own merits, but on the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But not only is there salvific protection, but there's preemptive protection. And this is where we kind of get off. Sometimes we begin to think our relationship with God is like a contract because in Exodus chapter 20, God begins to give them what he calls the Ten Commandments. How many have heard of these? The Ten Commandments were like, oh, rules, rules, here we go, rules. And you can look at rules as restrictive or you can look at rules as protective. And that's a, the Ten Commandments were, 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 were just something that he had given them in a covenant relationship. Why? Because God loves them and he wanted to protect them. Some, God wanted to protect them. And, and, and if you remember, they were, the, they were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were a family. And they were, they were a family that had then come to move in, into Egypt. And as they grew into a nation, they didn't know any better. Egypt provided all of their boundaries. Egypt told them what to do all the time. But as a free people, as a people who had been set free, how were they supposed to live? How were they supposed to govern themselves? Who was going to manage the conflicts they had with one another? Who was, what was going to be the terms of that? And so what God is setting up for his nation is a protective way. He's saying, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your ruler. I'm going to be your king. You're going to be mine. I'm going to be your father. You're going to be my children. And here, I want to set up some structure that's going to allow for you to be able to enjoy this relationship and protect you. Now, you know, you may, you may say, I don't know if I understand that. I, I'm not quite sure. Well, let me tell you, how many of you are parents Anybody a parent in this place? Listen, I love my kids. They hate when I use them in illustrations. I probably have to pay them. But, uh, but I love my kids. I love my kids, but when they're smaller, how many of you know as a parent, they don't, always know, they don't always know what lies ahead and what dangers are there. So as they're learning how to ride their bike, you know, I say, listen, we got a road and there's a park down the end of the road. Don't go riding your bike on that road down to the park by yourself. When they were smaller, Why? Because I didn't want them getting hit by a car, right? They might have thought they had the freedom and they had the ability. They had the ability. I can ride my bike. But they couldn't see the dangers. And as a good parent, I provided some structure and some rules. But my rules were out of love. They were there to protect them from potential harm and danger. See, this is what we see. God is setting up the commandments not to be a contract, but to be a a protective nature. To be something that helps restrain us. Why? Because we still live in a world where the power of sin and death is still there. And the Israelites were still there. Even though they had been set free from God, there was a lot of Egypt inside of them. There were a lot of temptations. There were a lot of the old sinful nature that's inside of them. How many know that's still the case with us? And we need, we need some kind of a structure that a holy God says, listen, this is, these are my laws. These are what I, this is, this is what I expect. This is why, because I'm trying to protect you. 
And I'm trying to help you so that you can experience the life and freedom that I desire for you. Some people don't see the rules as freedom, but I've got to tell you, they are. They're freedom from pain. They're freedom from taking us down roads that lead us into trouble. Right? That, that's why they're there, to protect us from harm. And so, likewise, God sets these forth, these laws, not as terms of his love, but rather as examples of his character and his love to protect us from harm and the sin that can bring harm to our lives. They're about protection. They're about protection. And when God says, listen, I won't cease to love you. If you break my commands, I still love you. It didn't change his love. It didn't change what he was going to do. God grieves and he does discipline, but the discipline is in an intent to bring us back under his protective wings. Listen to how the psalmist put it. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. See, what, what God wants us to do is to live under his protection to live under his wings, to live under what he, what, what he says, listen, this is life to you. God's desire is to protect us in the relationship. If you look at the 10 commandments, the first four out of the 10 are all about our relationship with God. How do we protect the relationship that we have with God? You shall have no other gods before me. Listen, don't make up another image. You were made in my image. Don't worship an image and a created thing. Don't you understand that I'm God and I'm the creator? I don't want anything to to hinder our relationship. Just like in marriage, don't have any other, don't have any other person. I'm your person. I'm your person, right? Don't cheat on me. And, 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 And don't go looking at any other image. I'm the image, Come on, you know what I'm going with this. We got an issue, we got a problem in our society. You got a problem, I wanna talk to you. Because you're impacting your covenant relationship, right? You know, the, the, you know keeping the Sabbath, it's about recognizing God, recognize, taking time. How I many you know, what's one of the things that happens that messes up relationships? We get ourselves so busy, we don't take time. We don't take time in the relationship. We don't take time to worship. All of these. And then, and then the next six deal with our horizontal relationships. But I will say that the fifth one, honor your father and mother, is, is, is a bridge. It's a bridge. Why? Because father and mother, honoring our father and mother, they're, they're authorities, that, human authorities that God placed to take care of us. And as we honor those who God places, it helps us in every area of our horizontal relationships. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't want what other people have. Why? Because God says, I'm your, you don't need to do that. I, I want to protect you in your relationships, your horizontal relationships. We got to keep going. Third is beauty. The beauty that we see of the covenant is presence. <laughs> it's presence. 
And we see his presence guiding them with the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. But later on, when God establishes this covenant, some of the instructions that he gives to Moses are to set up a tent that's called the tent of meeting. And the tent of meeting was a place that every time Moses would go, literally the pillar of cloud that represented the presence of God would come and it would, it would begin to hover over the mist as, as God was there personally sharing with Moses. Exodus chapter 33, 7 to 11, Moses uh, used to take the tent to pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting and anyone inquiring of the Lord, anyone would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. The Lord would speak to Moses, look at this, face to face, face to face, as one speaks to a friend. See, FaceTime is not new. (laughs) Then Moses would return to camp, but his young age, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Why? He was enjoying presence presence. Later on, God establishes the tabernacle where he sets up the Ark of the Covenant and his presence. Why? Part of covenant is that God's presence would be with his people. And part of the covenant that we have, Jesus said in the New Testament, unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. Paul wrote, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? 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 Because of presence. The beauty of the covenant is we enjoy God's presence. I thought you'd be more excited about that. I'm telling you, I love, man, God's presence. I think y'all asleep, man. We sprung ahead and everybody just fell asleep on me. God's presence. Do you realize what that is? Man, Exodus 33, 12 and 14, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and, and, and you have found favor with me. And it goes on. And then the Lord says in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's the beauty of the covenant. It's presence. The presence. You'll be a kingdom of priests. Priests, what are priests? Priests who go into the presence of God. And in the New Testament, Peter says the same thing, that we're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood set apart. Why? To enjoy the presence of God. That's the beauty of the covenant. But how many know the covenant takes a sacrifice, right? So there's fulfillment. Fulfillment takes a payment. Part of the covenant ceremony is sacrifice, payment. Exodus 24, God confirms and seals his covenant with Israel through sacrifice. Verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice. They were making a vow. All the people says, we will do, uh, said to the Lord, uh, 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 says what the Lord, uh, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses write down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men excuse me, of the people of Israel who offer burnt sacrifices, sacrifice peace offerings and oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood and threw it against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And the Lord took the blood and he threw it on the people. Ooh, right? But that's, that's part of it. You need to have the blood, right? The blood. Behold, and he said this, behold the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. There was a payment. There was a payment. It was sealed. What was it sealed in? It was sealed in blood. We saw it when God walked through the sacrifices with Abraham in Genesis 15. When God made a covenant with Noah, there was a sacrifice. And again, a sacrifice is to seal the covenant and the payment of the sacrifice has been made. The sacrifice was the payment. 
But even more important to understand in covenant would one day how it would be fulfilled. See, Israel wasn't able to hold up their part of the agreement. What we're going to see in long story short as we go over, we're going to see Israel up and down, abandoning, taking other gods, breaking their vows, breaking their covenant. And yet God keeping his covenant with his people, his covenant of love. Oh, does he discipline them? Absolutely. Why? Because he loves them and wants to bring them back. But over and over, they are faithless. Over and over again, they don't hold up their end but God made a covenant and he's not out he is fulfilling his covenant he fulfills his covenant and like a parent who loves their child no matter what he worked to fulfill the covenant by sending his one and only son his firstborn Jesus Christ to be a mediator of a new covenant but in order to make the new covenant he had to fulfill the old one and what he did he fulfilled it in his own blood Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hebrews 9, 12, he entered once for all into the holy of holies, the holy places. If you remember when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The veil that separated the holy of holies, the thick veil tore into. Why? Jesus Christ went behind the veil. Not by the means of blood and goats and of cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, eternal, not limited, eternal payment, a payment that was made in his blood, salvific. Hebrews 9, 15, therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the mediator. Now we go through Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through somebody that's earthly. We go through Jesus Christ. That's why he says that there is only one way. There's only one way to the Father. It's what? Through me. Why? Because he made the payment. It was his blood that the covenant was sealed and he was the mediator of the covenant so that all those called may receive promised eternal inheritance since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant redeems. Jesus paid the price for sin through his blood. He sealed the covenant through his blood and whoever places their faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him will be saved. And the Bible says in the New Testament not commandments of stone but commands that are written on our hearts. They don't go away but when we enter into a relationship with Jesus and his blood is applied to our lives our hearts begin to change and rather than looking at rules as being restrictive we find a new freedom and we say oh Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love you. I'm motivated by love because I want this to work. And I promise and I vow I'm going to keep my end. I'm going to keep my end. Man, there's so much packed into this theme. We're out of time. But I want to ask you this, and I'm going to ask the worship team to close. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you entered into a covenant with Jesus? Have you, have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him, said, Jesus, I need to enter into a covenant. I need the blood of Jesus Christ to come in to my heart and my life. Do you, do you need the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you have, do you, are you ready to enter into that covenant with him? And then the second question that I have to ask you is this. What is your relationship? What's the nature of your relationship with God? Is it more consumer, contractual, transactional, or is it covenant? Are you only in it for what you can get? Or have you made a vow? 
And Jesus is fulfilling his promise. And you're saying, you know what? <laughs> Jesus, I love you. And I, I am, I, I, I'm in it to serve you because of love. I'm motivated by love. And I'm in it. I'm in it. Even when I don't understand what you're doing, I'm in it. Even when I don't understand what's happening, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. What kind of relationship with God do you have? Is it consumer or is it covenant? Is it consumer or is it covenant? Maybe we have to rethink our relationship with the Lord today. Maybe we have to rethink what does covenant mean to you? As we close today, let me just invite you right now. If you say, you know what, I need to enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to invite Jesus into my life. I want to, I want, I need his salvation and I want to enter into that covenant relationship. Remember, it's a vow. I'm not asking you to sign anything, but through a prayer today, just like the nation of Israel, just like uh, we, we come in by grace, we say, Jesus, I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything. But Lord, I want to enter into that covenant relationship with you. I need to be sealed in your blood. I need my sins forgiven. And that's you today. You say, I want that covenant relationship with Jesus. Anybody at all, I need to enter into that covenant relationship with Jesus. I want to enter into that relationship. I want to make a covenant with Jesus today. I want his salvation today. Anyone at all, you just indicate with an upraised hand. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, today you're here and you say, you know, I, I just, there are some things that I just think in my relationship with God, there's some things I, man, I need to retake a look at. And you just were just impacted by this. And you say, you know, I, there's some things I need to grow. I need to grow in my relationship with the Lord. I need to grow in this area of, of love, in this area of covenant. There's just some things I found myself just struggling. I need to grow in that. Do you just be honest? Will you just slip up your hand and say, you know, there's some areas I just need to grow in that covenant. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just come before you right now. And Lord, you know the areas that we need to grow deeper in, in this area of covenant. Father, you've made a promise and it's by your love and by your grace and by your mercy. Lord, let us walk out that covenant relationship with you. Father, we're not able on our own, but Lord, just let us be motivated by your love and motivated, God, by the promises, Lord, that you have made to us. That, Lord, we will begin not to see rules as restrictive, but as protective, allowing you, God, to protect us and to lead us into a greater area of freedom and a greater area of life. Will you grow us, Lord, in this area of covenant? We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, will you stand? And I know maybe some of you need to get going, but I just want us to end just with worship today. And if you need prayer, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. If you want to just do some business with the Lord, I invite you to come and spend some time at these altars today. Come on, let's just do business with the Lord today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.